I love watching that happen. The signs and follow the shepherds. Very cool. Well, as we get started uh, this morning, um, uh, before we get started, uh, I, I can't help it, and uh, I'm not going to ask them to say anything, but uh, Tyler and Katie, would you guys just stand? Go ahead, just stand. Thanks, you guys. Two-fifths of the William fam. You know, Brett comes home at the end of next week, and then they'll uh, be back to a full house, all five of them. So um, it is good to see you guys. I'm going to ask if you'll open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And uh, um, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the, if there's a Bible underneath the seat in front of you, you can turn to page 1020. Or you can open up your iPhones or your Androids or your iPads or whatever other gizmo you have. And just we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. All right? And uh, last week, Brad did a great job of helping us to see what Christmas was like from a mother's perspective as we probed in, in Luke chapter 1. Uh, um, we learned uh, about Mary's character and how she was a sorrowful woman and a blessed and educated woman and a godly woman. But also she was a normal human and a normal wife. And... Uh, Brad also shared a couple of points, and, and one of them was which you know, got me springboarding onto today, and that was that God's plans often involve extraordinary events in ordinary people. God's plans often involve extraordinary events in, in ordinary people, and, and he was using that talking about how um, God used Mary, but it's not limited to just her. And he also shared that God's plans also involve using us to mold and shape others. So today, I'd like to, us to take a look at that first Christmas um, with fresh eyes again. For some of you, it, it might be really with fresh eyes. For others of you, if you're like me, your eyes are a little older. Um, I'm even having problems seeing, so hence I'm waiting for my new prescription with my transitional trifocals, right? You know, um, so even though my eyes, I couldn't say are fresh, I hope my heart and my mind can view this story in a fresh way. Something extraordinary was taking place, but, but because of our familiarity with the story, I think that we all fall into the trap of dropping the extra right, and leaving it just kind of ordinary. I don't know about you, but it's easy, right? Uh, repetition does that, the kind of I've been there, done that mindset. Um, I've, I've already seen that movie. I've already read that book. I've already played that out in my life. I've already experienced, and you fill in the blank. It's easy how we can make things that are familiar become just so ordinary. I remember a few years back uh, when Josh Sines was sharing uh, a Sunday morning, he said, when the good news becomes the old news, 
that's bad news. And it was just like, yeah, when the good news becomes just old news, yesterday's news, that's really bad news. I'd like to keep the good news from becoming old news for us this morning, and that's why we're going to look at Christmas with fresh eyes from an onlooker. And that's the description that I have given these certain um, uh, individuals that we're going to be studying in the Scripture. So follow along with me, uh, starting at verse 6 and 7. It says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, again, we see an extraordinary event has happened. But the only witnesses to it are Mary, who gave birth, and Joseph, who uh, I can only assume helped in some way. It's probably safe to say that some animals were present as well, but no other humans were there to witness this once-in-a-lifetime arrival of God in the form of a baby. Not only was there no pomp and circumstance, uh, really there was nothing. Uh, Max Lucado in in his book, God Came Near, uh, writes this. uh, God had entered the world as a baby, yet were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem, what a peculiar scene they would behold. The stable stinks like all stables do. The stench of urine, dung, and sheep reeks pungently in the air. The ground is hard. The hay is scarce. A more lowly place of birth could not exist. And as we get ready to follow along, starting in in verse 8, I like how Rick Warren set the scene in the pages of of his little book, The The Purpose of Christmas. He writes, The night Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, a small group of poor shepherds, if you haven't figured out, that's who I'm referring to as the onlookers. It was quietly tending their flocks of sheep in a nearby field. Looking up at the stars, nothing seemed any different from a thousand other nights. But what was about to happen would transform not only the shepherds' lives, but billions of others as well. The world would never be the same. Now, why do I choose the term onlooker? Well, I think it accurately describes uh, who these shepherds were. I mean, sure, their profession uh, was shepherding, taking care of sheep. But their part in this miraculous story (laughs) was that of onlookers. And and onlookers defined is as a spectator or as an observer or a witness or one that looks on or a person who observes without taking part. Now, for the most part of this passage, that's what they were. I don't think they stayed that way. But hopefully, you know, you can make that decision as we dig in. But that's who they were. And so, we're going to look at this and try and see, wow, 
What would it be like seeing it from their perspective? So follow along, verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. That's the transition from verse 7, when we see that Mary had just given birth, and it was her and Joseph in a stable. And I know that we have this, you know, simple but really pretty little setting, but you know what, it was anything but pretty and simple. Uh, most commentators will say that stables back then were, you know, kind of carved out in, in, in caves. At very best, they were some kind of building that, you know, was just a mess. But if it was hewn out of the side of, of, of a rock, you know, and, and then you can go on in there, you know, it's not like you kept the thing really clean. And then a manger, even though, you know, we think of it as, oh, we, we put Jesus in, in this little wooden kind of thing, most likely it was also stone carved out. We don't know for sure because so many different uh, scholars talk about all the different things. But that's kind of where I've landed. And so then they throw some hay in there, and, and that's where they've placed Jesus after his mother wrapped him with strips of cloth. And so we go right from there, and then we go right to this next scene. And the shepherds were living out in the fields nearby. One Bible teacher, his name's Tom Constable, he shares that as a class, as a class or a group of people, shepherds had a bad reputation. And various different scholars agree that the rabbis considered them uh, to be religious outcasts. So much so that their testimony wasn't even allowed in the Jewish courts because they were, they were thought of as unreliable witnesses. Hold on to that for later on. Um, the rabbis looked at them like that just because they were out living with the sheep. And since they were with the sheep, they were ceremonially unclean. But yet, um, as they were out living with the sheep, uh, you know, again, different uh, views are possibly at this time they could have been out with the very sheep that they were trying to protect that it was going to be birthing time and that those little lambs were going to be the ones that were going to be used for the sacrifices in the city. So there's also something pretty interesting about this passage. Uh, the author, Dr. Luke, okay, he was Greek and he was a Gentile Christian uh, who, by the way, is the only known Gentile to have authored a book in the New Testament. Hmm, I hadn't thought about that. And he was writing to other Gentiles. If you look in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he wrote to Theophilus and, and others who were also Gentiles. And, and it, what's kind of weird about this is that he focused on the fact that the Messiah's birth was announced to Jewish shepherds. So his audience is, is Gentiles. And, and Luke, because he is so exact in what he's doing in writing, that comes with being a doctor, that comes with being thorough, that's also he's the author of the book of Acts, is he took the time to be able to get eyewitness accounts and record all those and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit be able to accumulate all that information and be able to write it all down. But it, it, it seems kind of odd, especially when you consider the fact that Matthew, in the book of Matthew, the author of Matthew, Levi, his name, 
who is a Jew, he does not record this account. But you know what account he does record? He records in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and, and we're going to probably be looking at that next week. He records about the Gentile magi. I don't know, it's just something that kind of caught me off guard. A Gentile writing to fellow Gentiles, uh, focusing on Jewish shepherds, that's Luke, and then Matthew, uh, a, a Jew, uh, writing to fellow Jews, focusing on the Gentile magi. Wow. It, let's get back to this verse. In, in this verse, we know that there was more than one shepherd. We also know that they were uh, doing their job. And their job may have looked like this uh, in the book, A Gentle Thunder. It says, no flock ever grazed without a shepherd, and no shepherd was ever off duty. When sheep wandered, the shepherd found them. When they fell, he carried them. When they were hurt, he healed them. Sheep aren't smart. They tend to wander into running creeks for water, and then their wool grows heavy, and they drown. <laughs> they need a shepherd who will lead them. Remember what David wrote about the Lord in Psalm 23? Besides still waters. Um, they have no natural uh, line of defense. Sheep have no claws, no horns, no fangs. They are helpless. Sheep need a shepherd with a rod and staff to protect them. Again, found in Psalm 23. They have no sense of direction. They need someone to lead them on the paths of righteousness. I love that. So that is our background and setting, but here's, here's the main plot. These onlookers, now I want you to, again, remember what Brad shared last week. God's plans often involve extraordinary events in ordinary people. So the very first thing that we see in this passage that we're going to be uh, discovering is, is these onlookers saw something extraordinary. It wasn't just a run-of-the-mill, same old day. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them in verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So when we look at this in verse 9, first of all, it was pretty extraordinary that an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Here these guys are. They sleep out there in the fields at night because, you know, they've got to keep uh, one eye open, it says, uh, one scholar wrote, and both eyes open. One eye and both ears. Did I say that? I think I didn't. One eye and both ears because they were on the lookout. They had to make sure it was their responsibility to protect. That was their commerce. But more than that, a good shepherd, he knows his sheep, right? He knows them. And so they saw something extraordinary. They saw the angel. We don't know his name. We're just told an angel of the Lord. And they also saw the glory of the Lord because it says it shone around them. These two things were so extraordinary to see. It says that they were filled with fear. Or how about uh, absolutely terrified. 
Some of the different versions of, of other translations say they were terribly frightened. They were greatly afraid. The Greek phrase that, that really kind of encapsulates it, though it doesn't read easy, but it's they feared a great fear. So if you haven't gotten it by now, these guys were horrified. Wouldn't you be? And so I, I got to ask, they had reason to be afraid in that instance, but what are you afraid of today? We're all wrestling with that. It could be finances, it, it could be relationships, uh, career decisions, uh, health issues, our future. See, we're not alone. How do you think those shepherds felt? They were afraid. And I think you and I would be too. That's the same term that's used for when uh, Saul had his experience on the Damascus Road. Filled with fear. Then the next question is, what are you going to do with this fear? I can't tell you what to do with it. I, that, that's between you and God. But to do nothing, you know, that, that's, I can just encourage you, that's not your best option. It's not your best option. And thankfully, uh, these onlookers um, didn't take that. But let's look at verse 13 and 14. Suddenly a great company, company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Wow, a, a, a heavenly army of angels. In the Greek it says it's a multitude of the armies of heaven. I know we try to get a glimpse of that, right? We, we try to get a picture of that, but I, I don't think we're anywhere close when we think about what that's going to look like, what that might have looked like to these shepherds. So these shepherds um, or onlookers, they saw something extraordinary, but what they heard was also something extraordinary. They heard a proclamation of the birth of the Savior. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And here we can see that Jesus came for all the people. At the end of verse 10. Including plain and ordinary. Pretty incredible that, that this angel reveals to these shepherds who are kind of considered outcasts. And the angel reveals this truth to them. Jesus comes to anyone with a, with a heart humble enough to accept him. But they also heard that uh, directions on where to find him. 
right in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So they, they, they got this proclamation that a birth of the Savior, the long-awaited one, has come. And he said, and this is where it happened. And then the angel even gave him a clue, verse 12, a clue of what to look for. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, understand that being wrapped in cloths isn't that special. Lying in a manger? <laughs> I think it's pretty safe to say that there wasn't any other baby in a manger anywhere in the town of David. They also heard angelic army praising God. Look at verses 13 and 14. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Leon Morris, who's a New Testament scholar, he writes, there's a paradox here that a heavenly army would be announcing, proclaiming peace. It's like, wow. These onlookers, they not only saw and heard something extraordinary, but they also took action because they believed something extraordinary. Look with me at verse 15 and 16. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They took quick action. That's what happens when you believe something, you're going to take action. These guys took quick action. It says, when the angels had left them, which might have been a really weird thing again altogether, right? Imagine how freaked out you would be if all of a sudden, boop, there's an angel of the Lord, and boop, there's the glory of the Lord shining all around you. You're like, what in the world? And then you see this heavenly host, this army of angels making this proclamation, and they all said, they're gone. I don't know about you, but I, I think I probably would have been paralyzed. I probably would have been like, what just happened? <laughs> am, I, am I dreaming? I'd ask one of the guys, hey, hey, pinch me. Hit me, hit me with your staff. Do something. Let one of the sheep try to bite my toes. I don't know. But it, it says that when the angels left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. Even though it was a messenger, they knew. These simple, ordinary guys, they knew it was from the Lord. And so it says, so in verse 16, so they hurried off. I wish I could say that whenever I, I, I sense or believe that the Lord is calling me to do something. 
when he wants me to respond. I wish I had that kind of belief that I can just do it right then. They left their sheep and hurried off for Bethlehem. (laughs) I'm not sure or not, but I I would have hated to be the one shepherd who had to stay and watch the sheep. You know? I mean, how do you do that? And if if, if possibly, and, and again, this is just conjecture, maybe they all went and they just said, okay. This is too incredible. Maybe that heavenly host that we saw, maybe they'll keep a watch on our sheep. I, I don't know. But they, they hurried off. And, and when they hurried off, guess what? They, they found the baby Jesus, who hadn't even been officially named yet. He hadn't because this was still his, his first night been born sometime in that daytime and, or, or in the evening. We don't know for sure. And then they, they get to go see him. And, and even though Gabriel told Mary that you're going to name him Jesus, and, and in a dream the Lord told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, that you're going to name him Jesus, he, he hadn't been named yet, not until the eighth day, officially. And they found this baby, where? <laughs> Lying in a manger, a carved out, probably, piece of stone on the side of the cave stable just as the angel said I think it's again safe to say I don't know maybe, maybe you can challenge me on that but I don't think there was any other baby that was in a, a manger that night maybe some other point but not on that night not specifically where the angel told them to go. But because they believed what they saw and they heard, they then proclaimed. They proclaimed something extraordinary. Verses 17 and 18. When they had seen him, it's the baby, the Savior, they spread the word concerning what had been told uh, about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. That this baby was the Savior of the world. Hmm. That's the message they heard from the angel. The Savior of the world. I know the Jews were waiting for a a, a Messiah, but they were thinking he was an earthly one. They were thinking he was going to be the Savior of the Jews. This is the Savior of the world. It says, everyone who heard it was amazed or astonished at what the shepherds said to them. Notice that it doesn't say that they either believed or did not believe. We don't know that. We don't know if the people, uh, where did the shepherds go and proclaim this? Was it after they left the stable? How long did they stay in there and just bask in the presence of this newborn king? We don't know. We just know that when they had seen him, they spread the word. 
And everybody who heard it were amazed because these onlookers, these shepherds, these witnesses didn't keep it to themselves. Hmm. The shepherds were faithful with that, the message that had been entrusted to them. They didn't hide it. They shared it. They were changed. And you know what? Others could see it. So then uh, it begs another question. What will you do? What will I do with the reality of Jesus? You might be thinking, oh, well, you know, what, what do you want me to do? I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. Neither were they. I don't have that spiritual gift. I can't say for sure, but I, I think it's probably safe to say neither did they. So we can't hide behind excuses. I mean, we are, are trying to encourage and challenge, you know, all of us to even, we have cards that are like, we try to make it so simple, just take a card and don't hand it to somebody you don't know. Try to just invite somebody, can you trust God with a message? It's not up to you if someone comes or not to see Christmas with fresh eyes, but They'll never know unless you extend an invitation. These shepherds, it doesn't say that they were sharing it so that, oh, how many converts can they get? They were so excited that they couldn't help but share it. Hmm. Will you believe like these shepherds, these simple onlookers, who are forever changed. And then I'm going to say, you know, whether you know Jesus or not, some people who don't know Jesus and, and you're in here, you're still wrestling with it. You know about Jesus. You know the story. But you don't know Jesus. Are you going to keep playing that game? Fooling yourself? And how about... Uh, those of you who do know Jesus, you know you have a, a, a relationship with him. You're going to keep it to yourself? Or are you going to trust him to maybe speak through you, to use you, to bring hope or encouragement to somebody, just somebody, that he wants you to be able to share that with? And don't miss this last verse in verse 20. Because we're told that they praised someone extraordinary. We can't end without hitting verse 20. Verse 19, it talks about how Mary pondered all these things in her heart. She treasured all these things. When Brad shared last week, and it really struck me, she was the only human who was alive at his coming and who is alive at his leaving. And I don't know why that struck me so much, but it did. And so this poor woman had to deal with so much. Can you imagine all the emotions? We were talking about those in our life group. And as Brad unpacked those, you just kind of like, man. 
But verse 20 says, the shepherds returned. I'm imagining and, and making a leap of faith that they returned to their fields. And it says, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as had been told. <laughs> Something extraordinary happened. And outside of marrying Joseph, we're told that it was the shepherds. The shepherds who got to experience it. As the first earthly witnesses, onlookers. The arrival of the Savior. The Christ. Which means the anointed one, the Messiah. God goes to those who have time to hear him. So on this cloudless night, he went to simple shepherds, wrote one person. These onlookers saw Christmas with fresh eyes. At first they feared, they were terrified, but then they believed. They, they left what they owned and what they knew and believed what the angel had told them. The Savior had arrived, and they also told me, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Boy, that'll preach. And finally, they rejoiced. Today, I want to ask you, what can you praise God for? If you struggle to answer that question, you haven't been looking with fresh eyes. If you struggle answering that It might be time to, to just one-on-one -on -one with you and the Lord or meet with somebody to ask them to help you. Instead of dwelling on the negatives, because we can all go down that road, right? Oh, man, it's so crazy. It's so busy. I don't have any money. I got to do this and that. Oh, and the, and the kids. And, and oh, you know, we got to go here. We got to go there. We got to please this person or please that person. And it, it, we allow that to rob us and take our eyes off of there's Jesus. I don't care about the rest. There's Jesus. What can we do to make sure we can keep that focus? You know, he's still the best present ever given, right? And uh, I, I hope that you've, you've received him. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. Were it not for the shepherds, uh, these onlookers, uh, there would have been no witness to the arrival of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, maybe these shepherds knew that this newborn lamb was worth leaving all the other sheep to come and see. Would you pray with me? Father God, I uh, thank you so much for how you can use simple, ordinary people 
to unlock and unleash the extraordinary majesty of who you are. I pray that we can uh, leave today being challenged not to leave uh, just like a, a herd of sheep who just aimlessly go our own way, but Lord, that we can leave as sheep who are following their shepherd, their good shepherd. And so, Father, I just thank you for opening our eyes up and for continuing to open our eyes up for what you have in store for each and every one of us through a life lived in communion with the Lamb of God. I pray all this in His name, the name Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.